a dating and makeover expert where I will help you build confidence, make connections, and find love from the outside in. So you might be a successful businessman or woman, highly skilled in strategic planning, setting goals, and going after them. But when it comes to love, those strategies don't seem to work somehow or apply. And maybe you try to identify exactly what you want in a partner. You go online, you make a list of qualifications that you're looking for. You go out on a lot of tedious dates, hoping to find the one only to experience that these efforts, lo and behold, failed. And you think to yourself, I need a different formula. And why do these strategies work in every part of my life except for this part, love? Does this sound familiar? Is this you as you're listening to it? Because the reality is, and I work with so many high achieving clients, is that what works in business is often the opposite of what works when it comes to relationships and dating and love. And it's not that it's wrong to have strategies. In fact, I am all about strategies, as a lot of you know. It's just that putting the right strategies in place to break bad habits. And that is why I call myself a strategist these days more than a coach or a therapist, because I really believe that you just need certain strategies to break bad habits. Now, often your failed attempts at love have their origins in your early experiences. Now, of course, this is me being a therapist talking. It could be your attachment style, your relationship wounds, your patterns of thinking, behavior. But either way, it's helpful to do a little bit of self-analysis, deeper work, and what I call data dating before diving into the dating game, especially if you've been hurt and your confidence is low. And there are strategies you can put into place with an action plan to help that. And I see that all the time. I did this with a client recently who did not have a very good strategy into place when it came to her love life. She was running her love life a boardroom. She was extremely successful. She achieved everything in her life, won every award possible there was, yet none of her studies, her successes, her achievements found the love she was looking for. So after working with her, I saw this pattern of how she was leading with her achievements when she would go out on dates. So you know, she would go on dates and she would talk about all these things that she um, does for a living, activities that she would do, accomplishments that she would, she was trying to impress, right? The guy and the men just ended up feeling intimidated or unattracted. So, you know, she just was super confused because I mean, she thought, that would be a way of gaining their attention, find her interesting. But in reality, the men had a hard time feeling the chemistry with her. And these bad dating habits all stemmed from the fact that she grew up in a very high achieving household where she constantly sought after her parents' approval and love through, lo and behold, achievement. So therefore, she transferred that dynamic in her dating life, thinking that, well, if she can impress a guy with that, what she did, he would love her. 
And we ended up coming up with a dating plan with strategies around leading with her femininity, leading with her feelings, and yes, leading with flirtation, which was super horrifying for her because she's like, I'm an intelligent woman. I'm not going to lead with my flirtiness. But she soon realized that it wasn't really about the facts and all the things that she did that caused a man to like her, but it was how her value was being her and how they felt around her. It was a big distinction. And it was a real switch for her as she slowed down, let men earn her, and she just was really having more fun. And it was then and only then that she started progressing finally on her dates. And she put a strategic plan into place to break the bad habit. So with me today is an amazing woman who also specializes in helping high achieving people put strategies into place for couples and professionals And she's going to help me talk a little bit about all of this today. She helps high-achieving clients thrive in their careers and relationships. She is an author, public speaker, and cognitive behavioral coach who works with executives and high-performance couples, a girl after my own heart. Her proprietary coaching model uses a business framework and cognitive behavioral strategies to support clients in creating and, and executing concrete strategic plans for developing their careers and relationships. She's the owner of Insights Group Psychological and Coaching Services. She has a PhD in clinical psychology. So we're going to do a lot of psychobabble today, but we'll try to we'll try to keep it real. And she served as a doctoral professor and dissertation chair for students in business, leadership, education, and healthcare. She has published two books, including Voices from the Village. Advice for Girls in the Verge of Adulthood. She is a columnist for entrepreneur.com and she's been featured in so many things like Thrive, Global, Authority Magazine, Nike. She's on the podcasts everywhere she goes, now on mine. She's on the radio. She just got asked to do a TEDx talk in May. Welcome, Dr. Robin Buckley. Thank you so much, Kimmy. I've really been looking forward to joining you. Oh my gosh, me too. Well, I mean, when we were introduced, it was like we couldn't stop talking to one another because we had so much synergy. And I just, I love that you help people in a very strategic way too. So, but what, you know, we didn't really get to talk about, and I'd love to just like start with is your story. Like how, how did you get into all of this and love to hear a little more about your journey? Yeah, it's a combination of professional and personal. So um, like you, I started in traditional mental health and loved it, except for the piece that it was always an intervention crisis model. That doesn't resonate with me professionally. It doesn't resonate with me as a person that I think there are proactive preventative ways and coaching and strategy really help people do that. Instead of being in crisis and then getting help, they can avoid the crisis by seeing the first red flags and then having a plan to fix or to get to that next level that they want to be at. Personally, it made sense for me to start focusing on how to make relationships better because I have not always had successful relationships. So no, I don't believe you. (laughs) Yeah. And that's an important piece to it that I'm not coming from a perspective of, I know everything. No, I didn't always. And I really do wish there had been someone to sit me down and, and say, let's really think this through. And And what is your plan for dating after a really toxic relationship so that you don't replicate past mistakes? You know, is the guy that you're attracted to right now really someone that is just a temporary fun fix? 
or is it someone long-term? Because sometimes we end up with people that are really wonderful, but are not the long-term plan. They are the short-term, wonderful, fun part of life. And that was, uh, that was the husband that I married and then divorced because he's a great guy, still is, still in my daughter's lives, but not my long-term partner. Um, and thankfully now I'm with someone who is my long-term partner and that we did start with a strategy because we started with a friendship. So we did all the like hard work in the friendship that led us to a solid uh, foundation. So when I work with, I was working with my executive female clients and they would bring up their relationships, as you noted in your intro, they're great at strategy and business. And I just helped them move it into their relationships and realized, well, if I'm working with one partner, probably should work with both partners. So I created a model around couples coaching based on that. That is awesome. I know I always say our adversity, our gifts in disguise, and Mm -hmm. you don't see it at the time until you're through it. And you're like, Oh, there was the gift that, and and that kind of thrusts you into like what you do and and why you're so passionate about it. That's awesome. You mentioned, so I, in your story, this is really important because I find this really um, prevalent with a lot of people. I'm sure with you too, is that you said, you know, sometimes you meet somebody and it's the short-term person Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's the long-term person. And I find that half the battle is knowing what you want, because if you want a short-term person, like that's awesome. Right. And then you put a strategy into place for for that. Like, I wonder like, what are kind of some of the um, stages you go through with, with couples as you like get clarity with them? Right. So it's, it's kind of a different approach in terms of when I do the work with the uncoupled individuals versus, you know, kind of like the, like the population you work with versus the couples, but it really is, identifying with couples, their pain points. So as you said, I work from a business framework and Mm -hmm. using business as that opportunity to be objective and strategic about something that most people don't think about strategically or objectively because of the emotion, because of love, because of sexual attraction. And so the business framework allows them to step back a little bit from their relationship, have that enough of a distance that they can talk about it without the emotions coming up, that they can look at it and create a pragmatic perspective on their relationship. And very typically we start with what are the pain points, which is a concept from business. How do I identify what are the pain points that are getting away in the success of this organization? And the organization is their committed relationship, whether it be marriage or otherwise. So we look at the pain points and then we develop goals around the pain points. And more importantly, we look at how to analyze whether we're addressing the pain points. So we look at things like KPIs, key performance indicators to know whether we're hitting the mark. So it's very much based on evidence and data. So people aren't like, yeah, I think we're feeling better. I think we're in a better place. What the heck does that mean? It doesn't mean anything without actual data to prove that you actually are in, you know, um, a good place, but is it the initial phases or have you actually successfully achieved the entire goal? and knowing where you are in the process. Oh my God. I'm so interested in hearing, cause I know you have like a cognitive behavioral approach. Um, mm-hmm. but before I go into that with you, I wondered, like, do you experience resistance with people? <laughs> <laughs> I know I do. I'm like, is it just me? <laughs> no. The, no, the biggest resistance I have is typically at the beginning. Yeah. In very often it's one member of the couple who's like, but, but marriage or a relationship isn't business. It's love and it's lust and, you know, whatever else. 
And it's pulling them back to say, we're not detracting from all of those wonderful things, but those are the bells and whistles. Those are the things that if you have a strong foundation, only get better. But if you are relying on love and sexual attraction as the foundation for your relationship, those things ebb and flow. And when they are ebbing, that's when there can be a really dangerous challenge for the relationship. So why not base the foundation for your relationship on strategy, on protocols, on clear role definition, so that that becomes what you fall back on when things are not feeling so good. And you can adjust those in a very concrete way. It's hard to adjust love in a concrete way. It's hard to adjust sexual attraction sometimes in a concrete way, although I think that's easier than adjusting love in a concrete way. (laughs) You can adjust protocols in a concrete way. You can address the roles in the relationship in a concrete way. So that resistance, sometimes it's just talking them through it to understand I am not trying to discount emotions and and any of the the benefits within the relationship. I just want to make sure they have a strong foundation so they just keep getting better and better. Well, because I imagine, and I've, I've heard this too, especially with high achievers, like, yeah. well, I, I don't want to like come up with protocols and strategies. Oh. Like, isn't love supposed to be natural and it's spontaneous and spontaneous and, and fun. <laughs> and, you know, that kind of like, at yeah. what point does it like take kind of the fun and flirtiness out of it? And I'm curious from my standpoint too, like how you work with that, because, like th- that's one of the strategies I put into place with people is to flirt and let go, you know? And then so sometimes it could be almost counterintuitive, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think for a lot of couples, it is building in some very specific things, like very simply. And sometimes I start with more of the simple kind of assessments, but like love languages. Okay. Let's assess your love languages. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about emotion. We're talking about how we connect with other people. Okay. How can you build that into your day? How do you actually make sure that again, you're hitting those key indicators during your your day or your week. And sometimes it comes down to quantifying it, which sounds so non-romantic. But if I know my husband thrives off of physical physical attention or, or physical contact, and I make sure in my head, okay, at least three times during the day, I'm going to make sure I touch him, you know, as he's walking by me or give him a quick kiss when he's, you know, in, in front of his computer. It makes it lets me know I've hit all my marks. But more importantly, he gets what is really important to him. And why isn't that a good thing? Like, okay, so maybe I was approaching it in a very like, you know, uh, you know, quotient perspective, mm-hmm. but he doesn't necessarily know. I mean, he knows it because we've talked about it, but he doesn't register like, oh, that's my first one. That's my second one. He just knows that I'm paying attention to him. My, uh, one of my love languages is the acts of service. So I know he makes sure every day there is at least, I don't know what his number is, but I, I know at least today he's hit that at least four times today. And I know it's a conscious choice Ooh. on his part. He's not just trying to hit the numbers. He's trying to make me happy. But if numbers help make sure it happens, because in business, if we know I need to make 10 cold calls in a day, we do it. And when we hit 10, we're like, cool. And if we hit 12 as an overachiever, then we feel even better. Why is that so bad in a relationship? That is awesome. Well, and you know, a lot of what you're saying, I could see how it applies to dating in a different way, you know, because what you're saying is that you're, you're doing uh, a series of repetition Mm -hmm. of behaviors 
to people that they respond to. And that creates a feeling, you know, and that's sometimes like a really hard distinction between like the strategy and the feeling, but the strategies can actually elicit the feeling. Right. And, and, you know, for instance, like in dating, um, you may not know somebody's love language right away, right? Because you're first meeting them, but you can detect whether they're auditory, whether they're visual, whether they're tactile. So you could do a similar like right. tapping into that thing. So if he says, you know, and for instance, like if he notices a lot of things about you visually and he uses words like I see, you know, mm-hmm. and stuff like that, then you know that you can um, spark that attraction using right. that with those little things. So I love that. Like that was really, yeah. I, and I just made that connection just now as you were talking. I'm like, what, that's what so you're true. talking about, I actually have a term and I have, I really, um, I always ask people to let me explain it because it has such a bad connotation, but it's called positive manipulation. Ooh. Manipulation is seen as a negative thing. Like we're intentionally trying to hurt someone. To me, positive manipulation is using what you know about a person to achieve a goal. And the goal is, is something important to enhance the relationship or the organization is the term I use with my clients. So you're not trying to hurt them and manipulate them in a negative way. You're trying to use what you know to, to positively manipulate a situation or a relationship. And you're talking about that in dating. If I know, well, I know when I was dating my husband, I knew he liked purple uh, as a color on purple and blue. I wore purple and blue any chance I got. Ah, I love it. That's positive manipulation. It wasn't like I was choosing to wear something I hated. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't do that. That's a, that's that's a, almost a reverse manipulation on yourself. But if it's something that doesn't hurt me, I know is going to have a positive effect on him and thus our interaction. Why wouldn't I use that? And that's so manipulation is an intent. It is a purposeful intent, but in this case, it's to positively manipulate where you want to get to in the relationship. And I think that's really an okay thing and more than an okay. I think it's an, a great Oh my strategy. God. I think that's amazing. And you know, the other skill that you need for that, and then this will be good for people, both couples and singles is really pulling in and being present and paying attention to what the other person likes, you know, cause so often everyone is caught up in their head on what they should do and what the other people think of them, that it pulls them out out of the presence and not into the connection of the person. And what you're saying about the positive manipulation is that if you hone in on those things, it'll bring you right there in that connection. I I, like, that's brilliant. Wait, I want to hear more. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you were saying in terms of like, and then they respond to you and positively manipulate you. So it becomes this incredible bi-directional dynamic where they're both thriving off each other and building off each other. And it's that conscious approach to a relationship. And then when you're doing that, you know, I like, I love when I talk to my couples, I'm like, so let me get this straight all day long. You're thinking of ways to hit your quota. Let's just say you hit your quota. What do you think by the end of the day has happened? You've thought about each other all day long. You've done things to make the other person happy. You've received things that make you happy, which means by the end of the day, when you're worried about sex, for example, not being spontaneous and not happening, probably more likely to happen because now you've spent the entire day giving and receiving. So maybe then it's more likely that even though you're tired in or had a hard, hard day, now you're still going to take that extra effort now to, to end your day on a really connected level sexually. Ooh. Oh my God. I love that. Wait, so is positive manipulation a cognitive 
behavioral yeah. technique. Oh, okay. So <laughs> I want to hear. Yeah. I was like, oh my god, that's just one. What are some of those other techniques, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, a lot of cognitive behavioral strategies are around what is inside your head and what is, and because as you know, Kim, every emotion and every behavior starts with a thought. And people, this is another place of resistance. People are like, nope, I just feel things. I'm like, nope. Feelings are, don't just appear out of nowhere. They come. Now, we might not know what the thought is. We might not take the time to recognize the thought, but the thought is always there and it always, always starts with a thought. So whether it takes a little bit more of a, a dig, and I certainly don't do therapy anymore, with, especially with my couples, but it is like, okay, what if you took before reacting, for example, as part of a, whenever we're creating um, SOPs in a relationship. Right. Okay, so as part of your SOP, instead of just reacting when you're frustrated, what if part of the SOP was that you took 10 minutes, you walk away, and for 10 minutes, you really think about, okay, what, what's the thought behind what I'm feeling? You know, am I really feeling angry? Probably not. What's the actual emotion that I'm having that's underneath the anger? And what's the thought creating that? So I'm reacting because, you know, I felt ignored and then I didn't feel valued. Okay. So now I'm feeling neglected. Okay. That's the, the, so I, I, I think he doesn't love me or I, I think I'm not important to him anymore. Uh That's the thought creating the anxiety, which now you're translating to anger because anger is so much safer than the vulnerability of insecurity. So a lot is focused on how to recognize the thoughts, what strategies you can use to get to the thoughts. And then how to replace the thoughts with thoughts that will help the relationship, that will help the situation. So there's a lot of cognitive behavioral strategies built into the standard operating pro- protocols for the couples so that they can, they can use those strategies, but they know when to use them until they become more a natural part, a regular practice in the relationship. That is so super smart. And I can... I can only imagine, and, and tell me if I'm, I'm getting it right. Like you mean, like if you have a thought and you're assuming something right of another person and this happens in dating, I see it all the time. Like, Oh, I think he's X, Y, and Z, or I think she's not X, Y, and Z. And, and it takes it out of their own thought. They're just like assuming and presuming you're saying by using some of these techniques to know like what your thoughts are and exactly without that. But then isn't it, taking it a step further than knowing how to communicate that too. Like, I wonder, like, is there any techniques with that too? Yeah, it might be communicating, but I think it does start first with the individual of identifying, you know, what is the thought? Is it based on data and evidence? Right. Or is right, it based right. on just your own personal experiences? Right. And if it isn't based on data and evidence, how do you change the thought so that it's a thought that helps the situation that, that positively contributes to the situation. So it really, you know, it really is getting into what is going on behind the scenes, particularly in the couple's work, but certainly applies to uncoupled individuals as well, that behind the scenes work that so often can undermine the couples that work with me, they come in and when they're like, yeah, we had it out and we had this fight. And I'm thinking about a couple I'm working with actually now. And so much of what goes on with one of the partners in the relationship is this insecurity that he's not being heard and this fear for the people in his life that if they don't do what he's telling them to do, because he has experience, they're going to be hurt. So he's just, he's feeling like he's being ignored. 
And he can't articulate that yet. And he's very resistant to that. He's like, no, they just need to listen to me because I'm right. I'm like, "Mm, okay, but what's really underneath all that? Because once he can identify that it's just coming from a place of insecurity, he can change the thought when, no, they're not listening to me to, you know what, I've, I've offered my, 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 you know, suggestion and I'm going to respect them enough to make a choice that's good for them. And then he can step away instead of being there to fight and like get them to do what he wants. So. That's, you know, and what's so good about that too, is that it, it kind of diminishes the overgeneralizing that a lot of us do, you know, (laughs) because, and, and, and I'll just use an example. Like there was a woman that I was working with and she always had guys that ghosted her. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this goes back to her childhood of fear of abandonment, blah, blah, blah. But the point is that she kept attracting that like effect. And then here she landed this great guy finally after doing some work and she was in this like secure attachment style, you know, relationship. And he was a great guy. And one day he didn't text. (laughs) (laughs) Dun, 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 you know, and then it triggered everything. And she's like, there he is again. And I'm not doing this again. And I don't need, and she was going to like text him and blast him. And and I said, deep breath. (laughs) Right. No. And, and because our past is connected to the future and the choices we make, the patterns that get created and they fog our interpretation of a situation. And that's exactly what she was in that state. And so what I love about what you're saying is just like training the brain to interpret it so that you know what the real thoughts are against, you know, what you think they are. Yep. And then you tell your brain, the next step is you tell your brain what you want it to hear. Cause I tell people all the time, our brains are lazy. Our brains want to take the path of least resistance, the easiest way. And we'll fall back easily on past experiences because it's easy instead of saying, no, it's not this, it's this, you know, it's a new experience that takes too long. So our brain goes to a place of um, protection and ease. So I talk about caveman brain a lot with my clients where our brains are, are are primitive. And when we are in an uncomfortable, insecure or new situation, it's going to tell us all the reasons to avoid it. Because as cavemen, we avoided new situations because they were typically dangerous. We haven't outgrown that. We haven't evolved beyond that. But we can tell our brain, I know why you're doing that to me but I don't need it. We're good. And here's why, because I've done this before, because I know how to handle it, because this is a different guy. This is a new, this is not the same situation. We are good. But if we don't do that, if we don't actually talk back to our brains, our brains are just going to run rampant and just do anything to get us to avoid it. So by telling our brain, here's how I want you to think. And here's the evidence of why it's going to be okay. It settles our brain and it retrains it. I love that word. And I use that all the time to be our ally, not our adversary. And that is what makes relationships work. I love that. Having a good talk with the brain. Listen, yeah. brain. And, oh, absolutely. Oh, I the brain all with the time. You. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. yeah Here's what I want you to think. Here's what I want you to focus on. And, and we talk a lot in with CB, uh, uh, cognitive behavioral strategies, the idea of priming your brain. So if you're primed, from past relationships to just think men suck or women are are manipulative or whatever. We've told our brain, here's how we want you to think. And our brain is lazy. So it's like, oh, okay. And I will show you every example of why that thought is true. Instead of saying, okay, our past experience might be that, but this woman is not manipulative. So far, she's given us no indication, no evidence. And that little thing, that that's just us being hypersensitive. 
but we have to tell our brain that otherwise our brain's just going to do what the easiest path is. Yeah. And I really like that reframe and collecting data against what you think right. is, is true or the brain thinks is true. Do you do any, like, I know with my clients, I'll have them write down what those are to like counter some of those myths that they have. Do you have any other like exercises that you do with people? Around yeah, that? one of the simplest ones is um, in, in writing down, as you know, Kim, but for yeah. your audience, writing down, I tell people all the time, if you don't write it down, it's not real. It yeah. doesn't exist because yeah. it's just floating around in your brain and it is not concrete to your brain. So writing down everything that's important, including like when I work with clients, we, we write down their marriage plan, their marriage strategies. So they can have a business plan for their marriage because if it's not written down, it's not real. So one of the easiest ones is, Every night, depending on what the goal of the individual member of a couple is, or if they're uncoupled, is I have them really think about what are the things they want to focus on. So there's lots of terms for, you know, people talk about the universe or manifestation or whatever. All it is, is training your brain to see what you wanted to see. It isn't a matter of, you know, being an ostrich and sticking your head in the ground and not acknowledging like, you know, the other things in the world, but it's telling your brain where you want it to focus on. It'll see the other things, but what do you want to focus on? So a client of mine was in a really negative space about women. And I said, okay, so why don't we, why don't every night you write down three things that you really appreciate about women or three things you really hope to find in a future female partner. So he started with three and by the end of the time he was doing it and had found someone, um, he was writing like 10 to 15 a night. And sometimes they were repetitive and sometimes they were new things that would perk up. And what he said, he st- what started to happen is he started to see more and more women who had these characteristics. Now, they might not have all been, you know, what he was attracted to. But he said, and it was almost a direct quote, I started realizing that most of the women out there are good. They might not be good for me but they were good women. And so it gave me hope that I would find a good woman that was for me. And within, I think it was about 10 months, we didn't work together the whole time, but on and off in 10 months, he was engaged, which I was like, oh my gosh. But he, because he kept telling himself, this is what I want to focus on. This is what I'm looking for. And it primed his brain to look for that person. When he ended up finding his ideal partner, he said, I don't think I would have seen her If I hadn't told my brain what to look for, because it it came about in a way that he wouldn't have expected. So he wouldn't have been primed to look for it and see it and recognize it and notice it if he hadn't been doing that work. That's awesome. That was such a good story too. And like um, an example of how that can work, because a lot of times stuff like that happens and people see it as just fate or outside themselves. And to me, this is where the empowerment comes in, like knowing that we have control over our brains and what we perceive to be true and then make it happen for ourselves. So it's just, it's really empowering. I love it. Um, I wonder, is is there any other, um, I guess, strategies that you would put into place with people who fall into that victim mode? Because I know a lot of times people will try some things and then they give up and it's like, well, that can't really happen to me, you know, because I can hear people saying, well, that's a great story. And I've tried some of that stuff and that doesn't work, you know, like it's some of it's resistance, but I I guess I'm speaking more to that like victim kind of mentality. Yeah, that's, and that's a, I will admit, Kim, that is a really challenging 
way of thinking to, to combat or to help people yeah. combat. I think what I often do with, with clients like that is bringing them back instead of talking about, you know, a potential relationship or the current relationship, it's bringing them back to situations in their life where they were not in that victim role, where they were successful yeah. and what they wanted so that they can see, cause sometimes they forget and then they generalize or globalize like, Oh, I, I right. suck at everything or I'm never going to yes. find somebody. <laughs> so it's, you know, bring especially the, the kind of clients, at least the female clients that I think you and I both work with, you know, it's okay. Let's, so let's talk about your professional life for a while. Like, tell me some of the things that you do really well. And when was the last time you dealt with someone who was really contentious? Like, how did you make that work? Like when they're so miserable and it's so funny because I, I, it, it doesn't happen as much as I would expect. People don't realize where we're, where you're going with it. Yeah. They're like, Oh, okay. They think you're just shifting. So then they start talking about, you know, a client will start talking about, well, you know, I sat this person down and I explained this. And, you know, when they started to argue, I just controlled the situation. Oh, what strategies did you use to control the situation? And then they tell me, and what was the end result? Well, the end result was that they became more effective or I had to let them go, but that was what I did. So they're talking about this powerful situation where they had very specific strategies. They were not the victim. And then it's a matter of pointing that out to them and saying, okay, now, which of those strategies can you apply to this? How can you use those that you do obviously very well that you've used in the past at least once and probably more than that if you've used it once to now take control over this area of your life? And you said it at the beginning, people don't do that. They don't translate their strengths from other areas of life to their relationships because relationships are so vulnerable and we don't feel like, you know, we can have, again, that perspective of love just happens and it's fate and destiny instead of saying, no, you actually can orchestrate it or positively manipulate it to some level to get to what you want. And you don't necessarily have to reinvent yourself. You can use what you've used well in the past to then apply it here. It's maybe not an exact one-to-one connection, but I would have, I would actually argue that most of the time it can be close to that. Yeah, I know. I think you're so right. And it relates to the confidence piece too, because, you know, if you, if you are confident in one area of your life, for instance, work, um, you, you, that's like, I call, well, you're calling, like, find a time in your life that you did it well. I call it the honing device, you know, like everyone has a honing device, you know? So the career is the honing device. But if they're not feeling confident in love and relationships and dating, it, it, it feels hard, you know, and also they don't feel confident in it because they haven't had experience or positive exposure to it. Like that's the other thing, because you may have some experience, but it was negative. And so I think it's, it's, it is what you're saying and, and gaining that there's a woman who she's like, I'm not a flirt. And I, I said, okay, well, like, talk to me about what was going on in your high school. And, and when you were younger, she's like, oh, well, it was easier back then. I said, really? So what was going on? Like, what were you doing? And she's like, well, you know, that's when I just felt really good and carefree. And I was attracting all these guys. And I said, wow, like, how did you do that? She's like, well, I looked really different back then. So she was kind of like saying, yeah, but it was the, yeah, but, and I was saying, how about the, yeah. and that girl's in there, <laughs> you know, like she hasn't gone away, you know, you may- I, love, I love that. Cause you broke it, you break it down and do an analysis basically, or yeah. what are the barriers of achieving the goal and her barriers were this insecurity about her age or how she looked or whatever it was so that you can say, okay, then how can we address this? And you know, what about being older is an advantage in the dating scene? 
which certainly, you know, you're, you know yourself better. You, you know, uh, yeah, you have that yeah. experience to maybe avoid some of the mistakes. Like there's lots of advantages. Okay. So the, the mistakes that girl was making, you're not going to replicate because you're not that girl. You're right. You're not that, that age anymore, but why is that such a bad thing? And how can we like really tap into that, that and breaking down the idea of like, when people think about dating, at least, you know, and I think you've done more work in this area than I have, because I focus more on the couples, but they think about this again, almost globally, like going on a date, date. sitting across <laughs> from someone and yes. instead of what if it just started with like, you, you go to a cafe in the middle of the day and just maybe try talking to one other person that you find kind of reasonably attractive, whatever that means, not flirting, not trying anything, just literally saying hi, asking how their day is. And you just start slow and you break it into segments until you're finally ready for the full project. hundred percent. hundred percent. You're, you're speaking no. my language. <laughs> I, that's why I love you. Yeah, no, and it's starting small. And it's also changing the verbiage sometimes, even the, what you call it. I yeah. often say, don't even call it dating. Like to your point, I right. say, say, just go have a couple meetings, go online and just treat it as a party. It's not like I'm going to find a date now. I'm going to find my boyfriend now. You know, it's, it is a mindset and what we tell ourselves as well. So I yeah. think it's all intertwined to what you're speaking of. With my couple or my uncoupled individuals, I call it the interview process. I said, oh have yeah. You've done, you done interviews at work. Well, yeah. I'm like, so why couldn't this be an interview? And maybe the questions are different, but you want to try and get information about their background, their experiences, what, you know, what they're good at in terms of the fun things that they do. I said, so if it's an interview, put on your interviewer skills and you certainly wouldn't just drill questions at them. I would hope like that would be a horrible interview. So why not use some of those skills to build into the, the interview process of a date? And, you know, and, and even, and again, talking about nomenclature, I, I always love to ask people, what do you mean by flirting? Like, what does that term mean yeah, to you? Exactly. Holy mackerel. It means very different things to some people. Everybody. It's such a trigger. When I do my flirt workshops, like, and that's the first thing I ask. And everyone has all these like different definitions of flirting. And it's crazy. Yeah. But yeah, no, I think it's, um, it, it's super helpful just to think of in simplicity. I think, cause all the stuff that we're talking about can feel overwhelming and hard, but just like Very. you said, just breaking it down into those small little things to start breaking those, um, habits with these little strategies. So and it talks with, or starts with talking to the brain. I love, I love that. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Do you have any like parting words of wisdom or gold nuggets that you want to depart with? Yeah. I think the one that I always go back to is it all, it, I say break my heart, but I, I try and be a little more professional than that, but there's no reason that you can't be in the relationship you really want whether it's planning it as an uncoupled individual or being as part of a couple, you know, I'll hear couples say, well, we're, just, we're in a rut and that's just the way it is. It happens in a marriage or we don't have sex anymore, but that just happens. I'm like, it, it's, it, if that happens and you want that, that's okay. Like there's no judgment at all, but is that what you want? And so my question to couples is always tell me what you want and we can get to that. There's no reason we can't. So that's what I would encourage. I, I, I encourage everybody who's listening or every, everybody who comes in contact and either of us is just to find what you want and then build a strategy around it because you can get there. You can achieve that. Oh, 
Awesome. That is so, that's so great. And tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, easy enough. Uh, my title and, and name. So Dr. Robin Buckley, no periods, no spaces. Uh, I have a website that you can find me at with .com and then Instagram, LinkedIn, and God help me, I'm on TikTok now because oh. it encouraged me to. They're a little disappointed that I don't do fun things that I'm actually just doing like my regular talks, but I'm like, you know, that's, yeah, that, that's hey, what works for me and my clients. Like, like we were saying, start small, you'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not dancing. All right, thank you so much. I love this okay. conversation. And thanks so much for joining us today. You listening, this has been the Charisma Quotient. I'm your host, of course, Kimmy Seltzer. And remember, you can build confidence, make connections and find love from the outside in. And if you want to know more, make sure you go to my site, KimmySeltzer.com. Here's the thing. If you think you might need a dating plan and strategies to break your bad dating habits and patterns, then I have a surprise to share with you on something very special happening soon. If you're exhausted by the idea of dating, you don't know how to put yourself out there, you're feeling totally frumpy, you're tired of feeling alone, then grab one of the few seats to join me in my brand new six-week journey that includes, drumroll, a in-person retreat. I am so excited about this. And I am taking a small group of women to learn how to charm your way to love and stand out and feel sexier than ever before and with a plan. And it's called Spark Your Sexy Live. So if you're curious, just click the link you see in the show notes and then hop on a call with me to explore the possibility. And remember, working on you is working on your dating life. That's all for now.